Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Now, the great discussion that's going on in our country right now is about how to open the country. Governmental leaders have placed a significant amount of restrictions on us, and uh, those have been in response, of course, to the global pandemic. Now, the challenge is how to raise those restrictions or lift those restrictions in such a way that the country is able to return to what I'll call a new normal, but get back to work, get back to normal lifestyle choices, get back to many of the things that make American economy and American culture uh, what it is. Now, these are complex issues, and I'm not going to spend time on the podcast today trying to sort all of those out. There are economic uh, medical, ideological, and political ramifications to all aspects of these decisions. And depending on who you talk with, whether you're talking to a physician or whether you're talking to a corporate leader or whether you're talking to an unemployed mom or whether you're talking to uh, someone who's in political office, you're going to get a different perspective based on that person's background, their interests, their information, uh, their passions. Uh, and so there's a lot of confusion right now, and, that's, and sorting that out is really beyond the scope of what we can do in a podcast. But I want to focus instead my attention on your responsibility as a Christian leader to lead forward during this time of transition, this time of opening the country. Now, one of the great dilemmas that we're facing right now is the tension between caring for people medically and caring for people economically. There are some people who have been impacted directly by the coronavirus. They've contracted the disease, they've been hospitalized, and of course some have even died. In contrast to that are the many people who have been unemployed by the response to the virus and all aspects of what that means and how that's impacting family life, uh, domestic violence, uh, care and provision of, for children, uh, all kinds of aspects that, have ne- that are negative economic factors in our culture. And of course, there is the tension between these two. Uh, one former cabinet official uh, was quoted recently saying, Uh, This isn't uh, an economic problem. It's only a medical problem, and that's naive. It's not just one or the other. It's both. And here's the hard reality. No matter how much work is done to mitigate the health concern aspects of the coronavirus, some people are going to continue to die from this virus into the foreseeable future. And the challenge that our governmental leaders are facing is how to manage that risk, but not how to eliminate it. Now, this is hard for many people and particularly hard for compassionate Christians to accept. But that is the reality of what governments have to decide. Governments decide on a regular basis how to manage death rates, keeping them reasonable without trying to eliminate their causes. Now, you may say, no, the government should eliminate eliminate the risk of death from this disease before we move forward. Well, that's an unrealistic expectation because it defies the way government always has worked in the past on so many other issues. Let me give you some examples. 
Here, the, here are the approximate number of people who've die, who die annually in the United States from, from various causes. Are you ready? Abortion, about 850,000. Heart disease, 647,000. Smoking-related illnesses, 480,000. Opioids, 46,000. Suicide, 48,000. And car accidents, 36,000. Now, for all of these issues, abortion, heart disease, smoking, opioids, suicide, car accidents, for all of these issues, governments at all levels have laws and policies and procedures and practices in place to manage those death rates. In other words, all of us know that there's no possibility that we're going to eliminate death from smoking. But the government has reduced it significantly. You can't smoke in restaurants. You can't smoke in public places. Uh, you, you have to have labels on all tobacco products that are sold. You can't sell tobacco products to people under 18. I mean, there's all these restrictions that the government has placed, and most of us, frankly, would say those are all appropriate because those are ways that we can control the number of people who smoke lessen the death rate from smoking-related illnesses. But notice, not eliminate, just manage. Same thing you could say about uh, people dying from car accidents. The government has all kinds of laws and policies and procedures in place, and there's all kinds of societal pressure that's been brought about for people's behavior. Let me give you some examples. Wearing seatbelts. When I was a child, I'm not even sure our car had seatbelts, and then they started putting them in the cars, and my parents didn't like seatbelts and didn't want to wear them. My dad had horror stories about being trapped in a car with a seatbelt and how he was afraid of that happening during an accident. And my mother didn't want it to uh, cramp her clothing when she put a seatbelt on. And now no one of us even thinks about getting in a car without automatically putting on the seatbelt because over the years the societal expectation has changed so that now everyone wears a seatbelt. That's a good thing. It has lowered the number of people who die in car accidents. But beyond that, there are now all kinds of laws about safety regulations, about how, car, uh, how cars have to be operated and how they have to be constructed, how they have to be maintained. All of these things are put into place by the government because there were too many people dying of car accidents. But notice, deaths from car accidents haven't been eliminated, only reduced to a manageable number now. I'm not saying anything callous or cold-hearted today about people continuing to die from coronavirus. My hope and prayer is that no one would ever pass away from this horrible disease. But the reality is diseases like this are going to be a part of our future going forward no matter what we do. We can manage, we can mitigate, we can control, we can limit, but we can't, elim but we can't uh, eliminate altogether death from this disease. And so, uh, this kind of hard reality is my beginning point today, and I want to start by saying that the first responsibility, the first responsibility of Christian leaders during a time like this is to define reality. Define reality. This means that we help our constituents understand the reality of what's happening around them. It means that we avoid the extremes of saying this coronavirus is a hoax and no one should be paying any attention to it and we just need to move forward without even thinking about it. That's one extreme we want to avoid. The other extreme we want to avoid is 
every single thing must be done in the future to prevent any person from ever dying of coronavirus. That's an unrealistic expectation on the other extreme. The reality is somewhere in the, in the middle. The reality as Christian leaders is that we must speak and preach and teach and counsel people toward a clear understanding of what the real risks are, but also of how limited those risks may be and chart a way to go forward. The first responsibility we have to our constituents during this time is to define reality. Now, part of this is helping them to get past what I call irrational fears. Yes, the coronavirus is serious, but and in California, uh, about uh, 1,100 people as of today have died from this illness. But that means about 37 or 38 million people in California have not died. When you look at the number of people per million in the population who actually get coronavirus or who die from it, it's very small. So that means that while there is some threat and we need to make a reasonable response to that threat, we also need to move away from irrational fear that immobilizes us and keep us, keeps us from being able to go forward at all in our lives. And as Christian leaders, we have the responsibility to define reality. And we especially have to do this because what is it about us in the Christian community that make us so susceptible uh, to believing outlandish claims are to making decisions on on uh, on on uh, information on dubious information. Uh, what what is it that about us that makes us do this? And and I don't know what it is, but I know I wish I could stop it because what I really want us to do as Christians is to make decisions based on really good information and then make those decisions not out of irrational fear or out of uh, out of ignoring the reality of a problem, but instead coming to find a middle ground of response on these issues. So the first part of helping our constituents define reality is helping them to understand the real situation we're facing and how to make a reasonable or realistic response in that context. But the second part of defining reality is helping our constituents know that we have to, adju to adjust to what I will call a new normal. Listen, life as we knew it in the United States and the world is not coming back, and it's, if it does come back, it's not coming back quickly. The recovery from what's happened in our country in the last two months is going to take months, if not years. It's going to be a slow progress of recovery. For example, the airline industry is going to recover slowly. Uh, the travel industry, and in meaning everything associated with that, is going to recover slowly. Um, restaurants, many of them are not going to come back at all, and the ones that do are going to come back in a totally different form than we've known in the past. They're going to recover slowly. Uh, people who've been laid off from their jobs are not all going to instantaneously get those jobs back in a few weeks. The economy is going to come back slowly. Some of the companies that have laid people off aren't, aren't going to make it through this difficult time. They're going to close their doors forever. And so those, those people are going to have to be, uh, will be displaced and have to find new employment. It's going to come back slowly. And then whatever does come back is going to look very different. Uh, one person used this analogy. Remember before the 9-11 terrorist attacks what air travel was like. 
Now, think how much it changed over those next couple of years after 9-11, and we've fallen into new patterns of what it means now, but it's very different than what it was before. And so it took a while to develop these new patterns, but once those were established, they became our new normal. Uh, now, if you say to uh, someone who's 8, 10, 12 years old that there was a time when you could travel in America without going through a metal detector at an airport, they'll wonder, what uh, planet are you from and what ancient history are you telling me? Because that's their reality today, and that's the normal that they've grown up with. And so while it's a new normal to people like me, it's just normal to people in the later generation. And so as we think about defining reality for our constituents, the first aspect of it is to define the reality of the situation we're facing and that death is going to be a continued part of our equation going forward and that managing those rates is significant but will not eliminate all the risk before we're able to move forward as a country. And then the second part of defining reality is helping our constituents understand that we're going to wind up with a new normal. We're not going back to what we've been in the past and we're not necessarily even sure where we're going in the future but we know we'll get there eventually and establish new patterns that will become our new normal in that context. So Christian leader leading forward, step one, define reality. Now step two, a second thing we can do going forward is to increase pastoral care across our communities. Increase pastoral care across communities. There are so many segments of our communities that are in such need right now. Uh, the first one of these I would just describe as lonely seniors. You know, senior adults, uh, many of them live alone. And they are isolated in this pandemic in some very frightening ways. First of all, they are the people who are, at, who are most at risk of dying from COVID-19. Because of that, they are the ones who are staying closest to home and avoiding the most outside contact. Lonely seniors. Pastors and other Christian leaders need to ramp up their pastoral care extended toward these persons. I know that my mother-in-law is uh, in her late 80s. She lives alone. She lives independently, so she really does live alone. She's a very active person. Uh, most days, she's either volunteering at her church or volunteering at Meals on Wheels or uh, doing, uh, going to a Bible study in her community or going to her Bible study at her church. She has some meaningful activity and engagement with other people every day, but not during the pandemic. She's really isolated. So my wife, who normally talks to her mother uh, for a few minutes every day, has ramped up the phone calling so that she's making sure that she's staying in regular, frequent contact throughout the day with her mother to keep her encouraged and to keep her willing to isolate during this time because of the risks to her health if she goes out in the community uh, too much. So pastors and church and Christian leaders, we have a real responsibility for people like lonely seniors. But there are some other groups. Uh, anyone involved in the medical care community right now or the medical care profession needs extra pastoral care. I'm talking about doctors, nurses, lab technicians, pharmacists, anyone in the medical care field, first responders, EMTs, people like this. Every one of these people is putting themselves at significant risk to care for the people who are infected by coronavirus and 
who are experiencing the, all the symptoms of COVID-19. Listen, these people are on the front line. If you have these people in your church, take, a, uh, take the extra step of extending them additional pastoral care. Phone calls, visits, small gifts, uh, prayer reminders, things like this to let them know they are not alone in what they're facing. And then, uh, unfortunately, there are people who are being impacted by the pandemic uh, in ways that are not really related to their health, but I'm talking now about the unemployed, particularly uh, singles and um, who are losing their jobs and don't have a partner uh, to really help them through this. So if you have anyone in your church that's unemployed, recognize that unemployment brings its own set of problems, including its own set of griefs that come with it. Uh, a sense of loss, a loss of place, a loss of position, a loss of title, and of course, a loss of income, which then threatens loss of property, loss of home, loss of car, uh, loss of mobility. All of these losses start mounting up when a person becomes unemployed. If you have unemployed persons in your church, reach out to them specifically to offer them pastoral ministry as they deal with the grief and loss that comes from being unemployed. And if you have, again, single moms or single adults in your church that are unemployed, remember, they don't have a partner who may still have a job that provides even some safety net for them, and they need even more support. And then another group of people that really needs pastoral care during this time <clears throat> are people who already struggle with life challenges that are only exasperated by the COVID-19 situation. I'm talking about, for example, uh, people who struggle with domestic abuse. Multiple news reports have indicated that domestic violence calls to police uh, have soared during this quarantine or shelter at home time in our country. Just imagine you take a person who's already uh, prone to violence and responds to stressful situations with violent outbursts, and you put them in their house and tell them they can't leave for weeks at a time. How terrifying that must be for the people who have to live with them. Now, pastoral leaders often know about people in their congregations or in their communities who struggle with these issues. Reach out more aggressively to them during this time. Domestic violence is a serious problem, and it's only made worse by a situation like we're in right now. Reach out to people who you fear might find themselves in that kind of situation. And then, as a part of that, and I know this is very delicate, but reach out to their children as well. Children who find themselves in violent situations or even find themselves in foster care situations or in custody situations that are very tense or difficult right now, they also need specific pastoral care during this time. And then not only people involved in domestic violence and these kinds of related situations, but there are also people who don't do well by isolation. In fact, their problems are compounded by that. I'm talking about particularly uh, alcoholics and addicts who are in some kind of treatment or recovery phase of life. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, Narcotics Anonymous, these groups are built on uh, coming together on a daily basis in many cases, going to a meeting, getting the encouragement you need, talking about the concerns that you have, the stressors that are leading you back toward drugs or alcohol, and being able to disengage because of that. Listen, um, it's not the same going to an AA meeting by Zoom as it is sitting in a small circle, drinking coffee together, and talking about what it means to stay sober. 
And so these are also the kinds of people who need intensified uh, pastoral care during this time. Now, pastoral care does not need to be overly complicated. First of all, it's simply motivated by compassion that we feel toward people. And then it's expressed in very simple steps. First of all, rediscover the telephone. Call someone and let them hear your voice say, I'm concerned about you. You matter to me. I know this is a time that can cause you to struggle, and I want you to know I'm with you. How can I help you through this time? Rediscover the telephone as a means of pastoral care. And then second, uh, as appropriate, make personal visits. Now you say, well, what about social distancing and keeping a, a mask on and all of that? Yes, do what you need to do. But there's not anything wrong with sitting 10 or 12 feet away from someone and having a conversation with them. Uh, if that maintains their sobriety, even if you're doing that from a distance of 12 feet or so and with a mask on, it's worth it to invest yourself in that kind of pastoral care. So rediscover the telephone. Don't give up on personal visits. And then find other ways by sending the persons a card or a short note or an email or a text. Uh, let them know that you're thinking of them, that you're standing with them, that you care about them, that you're supporting them. Extend that kind of pastoral care. And then uh, when, you, when you can or when the need arises, meet their practical needs as a part of pastoral care. This is a good time to be delivering food baskets. This is a good time to be checking with people to make sure that they can pay their rent, make their utilities, and other ways provide a roof over their head during this time of difficulty, especially unemployment. This is a good time to uh, to to make a, a concrete gift of something uh, like I've described here to let people know that you see their personal need, you hear their practical uh, need, and you want to do something to make a difference in their lives. That's what pastoral care is about. Don't make it overly complicated. We're not talking about every one of us turning into a super counselor who can meet every need. We're talking about basic human compassion and reaching out to people in the name of Jesus and extending ourselves into their lives, knowing that they have need and finding a way to be pastoral in that process. So leading forward, first, define reality. Second, intensify pastoral care. And then finally, and most importantly, we must maintain our mission of sharing the gospel. Our primary mission is sharing the gospel so that people have meaningful life now, but more importantly, they have eternal life with God in heaven after they die. You know, dying can be an awful, fearful, hopeless experience. It is that apart from faith in the resurrected Jesus. People know that uh, death is inevitable, and it is. Avoiding death is not an option. Every single one of us is going to die. So while avoiding that reality is not an option, preparing for it is. So Christian leaders, rather than fret about what the government is doing or not doing, rather than venting about uh, what this politician said or what this politician didn't do, Let's stay focused on what we should be doing, and that is defining reality, providing pastoral care, and sharing the gospel so that people have meaningful life now and, most importantly, eternal life when they die.
You know, it's tragic when anyone dies, but it's more tragic when a person dies before they hear the gospel and have an opportunity to commit themselves to Jesus Christ. Our focus at all times, pandemic or not, has to be on getting the gospel to as many people as possible before they die. There is something, as I just said, worse than dying, and that is dying without personal faith in Jesus. And so whether you die of a heart attack, an accident, or COVID-19, it really doesn't matter. You're still dead. You still find yourself in eternity. And you may find yourself in a godless eternity, separated from God for all time, apart from faith in Jesus Christ. That's why it's imperative right now that while we're defining reality and providing pastoral care, and I've advocated both of those things as part of our role as Christian leaders to help our country move forward, it is most important that we be gospel preachers, gospel sharers, gospel witnesses. It is most important that we help people during this time to understand their deepest needs in life can only be met through Jesus Christ, and the only hope they have for life in heaven forever is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, as Christian leaders, we have the responsibility to lead forward. Our governmental leaders are debating how to open the country. They will eventually figure that out, and in one way or the other, Things are going to be changing in the next few months toward a more open life lived in the context of COVID-19. We can help the process, not by railing against our government or by criticizing everything that's said or done. We can help with this process by defining reality for our followers and helping them to understand how to make good decisions going forward, by extending pastoral care and by aggressively doing that during this time of transition and difficulty. And most importantly, by sharing the gospel. I want you to do these three things and do them well as we lead on.